Um, in 2019, April, I'm full of emotions today. Pastor Dave called me one Sunday after church, and he said to me, Solomon, I would like you to try and organize the Africans in church. We want to see African presence in this church. My first reaction was, oh, Dave, no. <laughs> no way. And um, I started chatting to some few people. And um, one Thursday after Happy Days, I was chatting to my good friend, Mick St. Michael, the resident magician of the church. And he says something. We're talking about, if you chat with um, Mick, you know what you talk about, isn't it? Prophecy. We're talking about how we handle prophecy. And just out of the blue, he said to me, some time ago, somebody came to this church and he said the church will be a rainbow church. Yeah. And he just said this, and you are part of that prophecy. And something unlocked in me. Even though I felt like going to say to Dave, here am I, send him. <laughs> I reluctantly went to Dave and said, after talking to one or two people, Joyce, Bumbai, Jacob, an amazing guy. I, I describe Brother Jacob as the engine of the African connection. And then, so I went to Dave and I said, well, we'll try and do it. So you try if it doesn't work. If it doesn't work, um, we'll take it from there. And then we organized it. The reason why I'm feeling a bit emotional is this. In February 2020, they said to me, can we have an African Sunday in church? We started planning it for May 2020. In March, God decided to take Dave away. And today, what Dave was talking about, we are celebrating an African day in church. And the lockdown came. And one of the things they said also to me, can you try and organize some Bible studies with your African friends? And lockdown came, and that's exactly what we did. We've been having Bible studies on Zoom during the lockdown, and God has taught us so much. We've learned so much. We've connected with one another, and we are still going on. So I want to thank God, I want to thank Brother, Pastor Andy, Pastor Dan, who has been encouraging us to go on, and this has been made possible because they are willing to let us celebrate an African day in church today. Pastor Andy, thank you very much. Dan, thank you very much. And uh, the name African Connection, or Africa Connect, came from Julia. And Julia is not here to thank her for that. I want to share something that God has put on my heart. And I, I'm going to invite two of our young people to come and read the passages for us. 
Tulu, and Marx. Where's Marx? Please come and read the passage. The two of them come, and then they will read the passage for us. And then I'll try and marry that two passages. Please, please. One is from the Old Testament, and then one is from... Bramusis, can I have the mic for them, please? Okay, thank you. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. The Tower of Babel. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Matthew 22, verse 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees left that place and made plans to trap Jesus into saying something wrong. They had sent some of their own followers and some people from the group called Herodians. They said, teacher, we know that you are an honest man and that you teach the truth about God's way. You are not afraid of what other people think about you because you pay no attention to who they are. So tell us what you think. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But knowing that these leaders were trying to trick him, Jesus said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a coin used for paying the tax. So the men showed him a coin. Then Jesus asked, whose image and name were on the coin? The men answered, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. When the men heard what Jesus said, they were amazed and left him and went away. Amen. Thank you very much, your man. Thank you very much. The message I'm going to preach today, um, Ben has heard part of it before. So Ben, just pretend you haven't heard before, okay? Um, um, again, Pastor Andy, Andy plucked me to go and preach at Ekinson the first, and I preached part of that message. But before I preach, uh, in the early hours of this morning, um, I, I had this picture, and I felt it's for somebody here or somebody watching. And the picture was this. You were holding, or the person was holding an egg very tightly. And the person was afraid that he would drop the eggs and, and break them. And I said, what is this, God? And this is what I felt, uh, God, I felt God said to me. And I wrote it down. God made a promise to you some time ago. It was a prophetic word that was given to you. But you are holding that promise like an egg, afraid that it will break 
and unable to move on because you think it's a promise of God and you are afraid that if you move on, that promise will never be fulfilled. What, what I felt God was saying is, I believe God was saying to, to me to say to the person, stop tiptoeing around the promises of God to you. Stop tiptoeing around it. Be bold and walk in the promises of God and God will be able to bring that to pass. Remember Abraham. His body was as dead as anything, but the promise of God came to pass. Do not doubt the promise of God. Walk in it and see the promise of God. Stop being tight. Feel free. He is God, and he will do what he said he would do for you. If this resonates with you, at the end of the day, talk to the pastors, talk to some of the prophetic people here, um, and see, see what it is. So, now, what I'm going to talk about, if, uh, if I, I was told this morning that in Africa you don't preach without a Bible, it must be big, I don't have a big Bible, I've got my mobile phone, that's what I'm going to use. So, if there's a verse that I want to think, think, think about, is this. And I believe this verse has been misapplied and used against Christians for a number of times. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. But that is not the end of the verse. The verse is, and then give to God what is God? So my question to you is, what belongs to God? Of course, the coin has got what? Caesar's image on it. So it belongs to Caesar. But what about you? Whose image is on you? Because what belongs to God is you and I. Because God's image is on us. Caesar represents oppression. Caesar represents the world, the worldly system. Are you going to give yourself to the world? I have said it before. Oh, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. My friends, the world, Caesar has nothing on earth because his image is not on us. God's image is on us. And God took me on a voyage of discovery. And let's, let's go through it. You see, this idea of giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God is not even a Jewish thinking because in the Jews, Jewish idea, there's no distinction between secular and sacred. There's no distinction. The people who asked Jesus Christ the question, they were trying to tempt him because they know that Jesus Christ would have said the Shaman, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
everything. When you've done that, what will be left to be given to other people, to be given to the world? There is no place in that. So when we talk about giving to Caesar what is Caesar, we've picked the scripture and we've read it halfway and we've left the other part. And to God, what belongs to God? What belongs to God must have the image of God. If the queen has got the image of Caesar and it belongs to Caesar, then what belongs to God must have the image of God. And me and you are created in the image of God. So we belong to God. And we go back to Genesis, isn't it? God created man, for that matter, woman, in his own image, in his likeness. And the image of God is consistent with the other verse, which is 28, be fruitful and multiply and occupy the earth. So there are three points I would like to cover today. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Secondly, what happened to the image of God after the fall? And then what is God's plan for his image in my kind? And then we'll make some application. So, even though it, it, it would be very difficult for us to define or list all the things that being created in the image of God looks like, if we think about it, if God created the world by his word, then the image of God in us gives us creativity. It gives us creativity because our God is a creative God. If God spoke the word into existence, then God gave us language. If God selects us, it means God lives in the community. So we've got the personality of God to live in the community. So you cannot live your Christian life alone or being in isolation. There's no lone ranger. God is an intelligent God. It's knowledgeable. So we've got intellect. We've got knowledge. Now, if, if you read a Genesis account, you, you, you hear phrases like, and then God created and he called the day light. He called a, a, a darkness night. He called this, this sea. He called skies. But this stop in verse 11. God created without giving a name again. Now, who gave the names to the rest of God's creation? Adam, think of the intelligence, the deep knowledge that Adam displayed by naming every creature for a purpose. He looks at the king of the jungle and he said, you are going to be called a lion. Mm. The one that annoys me most, they said that um, God never created anything without a purpose, but mosquitoes comes very close to it. <laughs> huh? 
he looks at this small creature and then say, you are called mosquito. <laughs> what is the purpose of mosquito? <laughs> but think about that. The rest of God's creation, Adam continued the naming. Whatever Adam called it becomes the name. He called woman, now we call women. He called plant, different names. Last Sunday, um, somebody was buying one of the plants we're, we're selling, and he said, what plant is this? And I said, I was told the name, I can't remember. I went and checked, and he said, no, no, that is wrong. I said, well, I don't know, that's what I was told. But think of Adam naming all this beautiful plant, the deep knowledge and understanding that Adam displayed. So as somebody created in the image of God, you've got knowledge, you've got intellect, you've got understanding. So don't despise your knowledge. Don't despise yourself. God created you in his image to reflect his likeness. So you and I, all of us, we've got creativity. We are a person. We've got emotion. We've got communication. We've got reasoning. God is a God of reasoning. He's a God of emotions. It's a moral God. There's goodness in every my, my God. Even though we may not see imagination. We've got imagination. Oh, and we can keep on naming them. It's vast. But today I'm going to concentrate on just three aspects of the image of God in us. Creativity, language, and intelligence. Now, second point, what happened to the image of God in man after the fall? But that's a big question. Do we, do we still retain the image of God in us? There are some Christian traditions that believe that when Adam and Eve sinned, the image of God was destroyed. So for that matter, they will have nothing to do with unbelievers. They won't listen to unbelievers. They won't take advice. They won't do anything because they don't have the image of God. But my reading of the primal history of creation, Genesis 1 to 11, shows that the image of God in man was never destroyed after the fall. So what happened to it? It was distorted. The image of God in us was distorted. It affected the way we do things. Now, we can see that in, 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 in the Genesis account, so as a question, how did Cain know that he should kill his brother Abel? He has a reason to say to Abel, let's go into the field, intelligence. But that intelligence was distorted. And so it was corrupt. So he had to kill his brother. Now that is, we see that all the time in the world we live. There's disjointed thinking disjointed thinking because of the image of God in us that has been distorted. Now, a good example of seeing that the image of God 
in us was not um, destroyed but distorted. It's in Genesis 6. I'm sure we know, we know this one. Genesis 6. This is what God himself said. This is what God said. Then the Lord God said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. For he's a mortal, and his days, and his days, and then you continue, and then when you come to verse, um, verse uh, 6, this is what God said. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth is and has become. And every imagination, every thinking of his heart was evil. So ability to think was still present. Ability to imagine was still present. But what has happened is it has become corrupted. So imagination, the thinking of man has become continuously evil. So when Adam and Eve sinned, the image of God in us became distorted. How do we know again that the image of God was never destroyed? Look at Noah. Where did Noah obtain the knowledge to build a boat from? That's creativity. Even though Adam and Eve are falling, the, the, the creativity that God gave us was still present. And Noah, the knowledge of building the ark so that God would preserve mankind. Immediately after the flood, when God was giving instructions about how we should live, he said this, and this is very important. The reason why we should not take, or people should not take man's blood, is because man is created in the image of God. The image of God was still present. And God recognized that that image of God in us has become distorted and people would take other people's life. And so he laid down the rules. He laid down the rules. He laid down the rules. Now, let me come to the passage that we read in Genesis 11. Think about that one too. Now, after the flood, God still said to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. That is part of the mandate. That's part of the image of God in us, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to occupy the ground. But in Genesis 11, we saw that, that distorted image of God. We saw knowledge there. We saw creativity there. We saw intelligence there. We saw communication there. This is what they said. Um, now, um, they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stones. So they, that's, again, creativity. That's knowledge, improvement, and tower for mortar. And they said, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may, not, we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of earth. Come, let us build creativity. Building bricks, creativity. Knowledge, building a brick, building a tower. But where is the distortion there? The distortion is this. 
God has said to mankind, be fruitful and multiply and scatter. But they were using that knowledge that has become distorted to go against the word of God. Let us build a name for ourselves and that we may not be scattered over the face of earth. That's a clear contradiction. That's a clear contradiction of the instructions that God gave to Adam, to Noah, after the flood. And what were they using the knowledge for? To build a name for themselves. Now look around us. People are using the creativity that God has given them to build a name for themselves. What are you building for yourself? What, what are you using the image of God on you for? Are you using it to make a name for yourself? Are you using it to subvert the word of God? Are we using the, name, the image of God in us contrary to what the word of God says to us? Look around us today. The very clear mandate that God gave to mankind, the image of God he created male, female, to fruitful and multiply, is being defiled across the world today. That is distortion of the image of God. Now, so let us not use the creativity that God has given to us to build a name for ourselves. Let us not use the creativity God has built us to subvert the word of God. Let us use it to fulfill the mandate of making God known. They use language, isn't it? And language is very important to God. Now, when God came down and confused their language, I was taught some years ago that different languages were punishment from God. That is true in some cases. But God has started already creating different languages and different culture before Tower of Babel. If you are in doubt, read Genesis 10. After the flood, you see, God, God they gave us the idea of people spreading different language, different tongues, and different cultures. God created different cultures. God created different languages. Language is important to God. Diversity is important to God. Look at Genesis 10, 5, Genesis 10, 20, Genesis 10, 31. You can see that God was creating languages, creating clans, creating cultures, creating different listen, before, before the Tower of Babel. So that is not true that God um, created, or God used a language uh, for the first time to confuse mankind. Um, when I was thinking about this, my mind went back to when I was a second year student studying law. I don't, I'm sure Phoebe and my children have heard about this number of times. I don't know what I was doing in that law school. Everything was going over my head. And um, 
I've got a friend, Dr. Michael Adu, whenever we meet, we used to meet every, every year, and we talk about it. Say, what were we doing in that law class? What were we doing? We didn't understand a single thing. And this is somebody, now we are prat I was practicing law, teaching law, and he's also teaching law, a professor now. But my mind went back to second year reading law. One of the electives I took was international trade and investment law. And the guy that taught us wanted to convert all of us to become a socialist. And he used to use phrases like, never, never go to the IMF. Never, never invite multinationals into your country. They will repatriate all their profit and your country will become bankrupt. On the reading list was a small book called Multinationals, Free Enterprise, etc., etc. And I saw that book in the library, and as any of you who have studied law will know, law, law student sleeps in the library for days. Sometimes they don't go even to have a wash. Anyway, that's beside the point. I saw this book, and I, I sat down and I read it. And the book said, among other things, and now, upon reflection, the book is talking about what is in Genesis. It said this, that human beings thrive better under competition. That because we are fallen beings, we want everything for ourselves. Basically, we are selfish. And, and that, is, that is in Jeremiah. And is this. If you are going to make laws, make laws that will encourage the competitive aspect of human beings. Now you can see where Dan got his, Dan, Dan got his uh, com uh, competitiveness from, because he always wants to win. <laughs> you see? Make laws that will encourage the competitive edge in man, but recognize that we have become so selfish and corrupt in our intelligence, in the way we do things, and so laws should be made to care. This encourage free enterprise, but put in place laws that will bring people or will allow multinationals to invest back. Now we know what happens when you make task laws and you make it relax and people will transfer it. But this is something that the book said that have always challenged me. And he said this, if you create laws that encourage the competitiveness in man and you make room to take advantage of the selfishness in man, everybody would benefit. And he gave an example of um, inheritance law in America. If there's an American here, you can correct me. In America, if you are, you've got wealth of a certain percentage and you never invested or never put part of that money into charitable use, when you die, they will tax your estate very, very heavily. Now, that explains why there are a lot of foundations in America, because people want to keep it for themselves. Now, that is what has happened to us. We want to keep things for ourselves. 
That's the image of God in us that has distorted. So the word recognizes this and take actions by passing laws. And Romans 13 talks about this. But what is God's plan for this image in us that has been distorted? So I'm coming to my second point. Now, if you Genesis 1 to 11, it's all about this primitive image, a primitive history of the world. And from Genesis 12, we see the plan of God in operation. He called Abraham, Pastor Prince about it. God put in motion, in place, a plan to redeem his image in us. And we know that from that until Christ was born, the grace of God started working. Now, Christ Jesus came in order to redeem the image of God in us. See, through the grace of God, the image of God that was distorted at the fall, that is what the birth, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ it's all about. You see, next week, we'll be talking about Pentecost. And the, this, there are four pillars of Christianity. The first three, we talk very much about it, but we don't talk a lot about the ascension. But let me say to you, without the ascension, there will be no Pentecost. So the ascension is as important as the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The ascension was also prophesied by Daniel. Daniel saw it. But on the day of Pentecost, the reason why I'm saying this is that what happened on the Tower of Babel was redeemed. God redeemed what happened when people decided to use the knowledge is given them, the intelligent the creativity to disobey its mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to make a name to themselves. In Babel, people spoke in different languages, but they never understood each other. On the day of Pentecost, people spoke in different languages, but people heard them, heard God in their own language. They heard God, the wonders of God. That's the beauty of the God that we serve. Our God speaks different languages. Our God understands different languages. Language is the linchpin to every culture. And God is a God of every culture. On the day of Pentecost, God redeemed every language, every tongue, every culture. And every culture will bow to the knee of Jesus Christ. So Pentecost is not only about the Spirit coming, it's about redemption. 
God redeeming what went wrong on the Tower of Babel. So that, that's very important. And that is why, for me, I always say this, I thank God for the missionaries who came to Africa, learned our language, and spoke the word of God to us in our own language. That is why the work of Bible, Bible translation is very important. God wants people to hear him in their own language. Don't despise the language of others. And if you are like me, don't despise the language of your ancestors because God understands that language. I mean, uh, thinking about that, I think about in my own country, people like who translated the Bible into local language so that my ancestors can read about God and hear about God in their own language. In, in recent years, there's a lady called Professor Owl. He's traveled to um, live in north, northern part of Ghana, and he has translated the Bible into a language called Kasana language so that the Kasana people can hear God in their own language. Can hear God in their own language. We as Christians are privileged. There's another thing about this, this is very important. The Bible can be translated into different languages. There are other religions. They are, they are God, in the, speaks only one language. And you cannot do anything in any other language. But we can worship God in our own language. We can worship God in different languages. God is redeeming what was lost in the garden of his and like I said, Jesus Christ came to redeem. Because Jesus Christ is described as, it is the image of God, isn't it? If you read um, Colossians, that's what Colossians said. That's what Hebrew said. It's the image of the invisible God. It's the radiant of the invisible God. It is the exact image of God, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. So, what is God then doing? What is God do? This is what God is doing. Once you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into you, God then starts transforming you into the image of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We major on the 28. All things work together for good for those that love me. Read to the end, and he said, so that what is good for us, that God will transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. God is transforming us into the image of Christ Jesus. That is what, what, what is happening now. God wants to transform the image of God in us. That was distorted into the image of Christ Jesus and to prepare us for 
the final consummation where we become more and more like Christ. But see, the point of the matter is this. God cannot transform us into the image of Christ Jesus if we are using his creative power, our intelligence that is given you for ourselves, to build a name for ourselves, if we are using it to enhance ourselves, to, to build our own kingdom, we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender. There's a quote by Ralph, Disney, Ralph and Red Park. He said this. He said, salvation is instant, but sanctification, being transformed into the image of God, is a continuous process. It takes time. It takes time. Paul talked about that again in a different form. He said, so we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It is a continu continuous process. It's not a one-off situation. But that is, that is the will of God. He wants to transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. And if Christ Jesus is God, whenever we surrender and God transforming us, he didn't transform us in God. Sometimes we make excuses, phrases like, oh, I was born that way. But no, God doesn't want you to remain that way. God doesn't want you to remain that way. He wants to transform you into the image of Christ Jesus. You want to see the image of Christ Jesus? Look at, you want to see the image of God? Look at Christ Jesus. Look at the radiant. Look at the way he acts. Look at the way he behaves. That is what God wants to do for us. Transform us into the image of Christ Jesus. So the phrase, I was born that way, please, let's stop it. God doesn't want you to be, be, be the way that you were born. Have you accepted Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Then God wants to transform you into the image of Christ Jesus. So the way that you were born, please stop it. Let God transform you into the image of Christ Jesus. The, if, you read, if you read Colossians 3, 9 to 10, and Ephesians 4, 24, it gives us a clear picture of what we should be doing in this transformation. Because we, we can see that if I, if I pick Colossians 3 now, and then maybe I'm coming to land now. This is what Colossians 3, um, as I read from verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off the old self with its practices, but put on the new self. This is the key, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. Knowledge. God wants to renew our knowledge into the image of himself. Submit your knowledge to him, and he will transform it like him. That is what God wants us to do. You know, the idea of putting on and putting off appeals to me very much. If you are in the dirty clothes and you stand and shake yourself, the clothes won't come out. 
What have you had to do? You have to take it off. You have to take it off. We need to take them off and then take and put it on. It depends on us. We need to surrender. We need to give in. We need to give it to God and he will transform. Paul advised us to renew our mind. So let's put off some of these old habits. Let's put them off because if you read Again, Revelation talk about God redeeming us and transforming us and then presenting us to Christ Jesus and then it, the combination will come. So, few applications. One, if you are created in the image of God and God wants to transform you into his image, that should affect your wealth and your dignity. So don't look down on yourself. Don't say, poor me. No. No. Your, our wealth and dignity is in Christ Jesus. And that is what God is doing. We should also watch the language that we use against the children of God. Sometimes the language that we use doesn't reflect the image that is being transformed by God. Stop calling people trouble. Now, nobody is trouble. God, Christ Jesus has paid a price and is transforming that person into the image Sometimes, what we say about ourselves is also not in the light of this transforming image that God is, is trying to put or take us to. And also, our attitude towards people who unbelievers how do we see unbelievers? Do we see them in the image of God that is distorted, that they need to come to Christ in order that their image, the image of God or the likeness of God that was distorted in the Garden of Eden will become part of them. We must remember, and this is a quote from Greenwich said, we must remember that however fallen we are, however sinful people appear to have, however distorted the image of God it is in people, they still need our respect, our dignity, and our understanding because God created us in his image was stolen by his restoring it. And he continued to say this. With the dignity and respect that is due to every person that has got God's image means that we must respect people of every race, every culture, every language, and every tribe 
nobody is beyond this image of God. Thank you. God bless you.